Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. Today we're going to be talking about tone and how to manage players, a.k.a. how to wrangle cats. I'm here with my friend Steve. Hello. So... It's kind of funny, we were doing a little bit of research before this episode. You were poking around on YouTube trying to find some information, you know, just what other people have said about tone and and setting up tone for games, and you only found, what, like three videos? Two, actually. I found one from, um, I'm drawing a blank now on the name. One was from 1 to 20 D&D, and wasn't really a whole lot to it, and uh, like I said, I'm drawing a blank on the other name. I'll fill it in and post or something. But uh, it was a British guy. It's a, it's a known channel. I just can't think of the name of him. Okay. Hey, folks. Steve here doing the edit thing. The name of the channel in question that I could not remember at the time of recording was Dicebreakers. Pretty good channel for everything I saw in my quick skim, but that's who it was. Thank you. So one of the biggest things that I see a lot of DMs struggling with in games I've played in and in myself just learning how to play the game is setting a tone when it comes to the world that you're playing in. So whether it be D&D or Cyberpunk or Vampire the Masquerade, whatever you're playing, each world you want to set a different tone, whether that be a silly tone, whether that be a serious tone, whether it be grimdark or it can even be light fantasy, it could be light in general. Setting that tone really makes or breaks a story oftentimes. Yeah, it really can. I mean, and it's something that, you know, like you said, I, I went looking because if you listen to gamers talk about it, especially people that DM any decent amount, it's something that's constantly talked about. And yet, you know, you can find a zillion different videos for combat or this or that or 17 other things. But like I said, I now a couple of quick YouTube searches, but I turned up two videos and it's so vitally important to the experience because if either as a player or a GM, if you're looking for a given tone and it's not there, it's a much less satisfying experience. Oh, absolutely. Or if it's completely opposite to the tone that you have in your head, if the players are taking a serious story and making it a funny story, then you're, as a DM or even as a player, you're sort of going, why do I take this seriously? Why should I care about what's being told to me since the tone isn't right? And I know I've had that issue. I had that issue in a D&D campaign I played in a long time ago where just people were not, they were not taking the story seriously. And I was, and the DM was trying to set that tone. And it was just frustrating. It was really just frustrating because the DM's trying to set this very serious, you know, high fantasy Tolkien-esque tone, and players are going, Haha, look at me, I'm dancing around the king! And and that can be mm. frustrating. And that can make or break games. It really can. Yeah, it, it really is. And when you get into certain genres, it can become really, really important. I know that's something you plan to get into a little bit later in the show, but... Yeah, and like, as an example, though, with tone, and this is something that comes back to me a lot, I remember when I was young... This would have been a PBS program. I'm thinking it was Sesame Street, and it sticks in my head. They played this clip of an alligator moving along, and they played it the video twice, once with kind of funky, happy, silly music, and once with these sinister, you know, dun-dun-dun type thing. And the difference, you know, I still remember it now, 30-some-odd years later, how different it made you feel with the same visuals, but a different tone, so to speak. Right, and yeah, I, I remember that skit. That applies to games. Yeah, it does. It really does. And that's not to say either that a game has to be exclusively one tone. I think to run a, a really effective game, you have to manage the tone, and certain times you're going one way, and certain times you're going another. And as a player, you have to be conscious of that, and, and like you said, not dancing around the king when the, the GM is trying to have a serious, impactful scene. Right. And as a GM, you have to let the players, in our show notes, I put it as giving them enough rope to hang themselves. <laughs> <laughs> you have to let your players, like, if they want to play with the tone in a serious situation, okay. But this is going to come back to bite you in the end. 
you know, it, it's it's mm-hmm. it's a give and take when it comes to tone. Because if you're putting in the wrong tone, if you're putting out the wrong tone, the players are going to take it and run with it. Or if they're putting out the wrong tone, you got to be able to work with that and deal with what they're trying to do. And that's why it's that's why I felt that the episode was important that it be tone and how to manage players, not just tone in general, because we could go exhaustively about. Well, this is a grim, dark story, but if you want to tell a story about, if you want to use Call of Cthulhu, tell a story about Cthulhu falling down the stairs, you can do that. That's fine. But setting the right tone for your players, managing how the players run with that tone and what direction they take that, it's what makes or breaks a lot of campaigns. It really, really is. Yeah, very much so. And I mean, yeah, like you said, that I think, in all honesty, is probably one of the biggest sources of dissatisfaction with games and campaigns out there is that the tone is not what you're looking for. And it is something for GMs, DMs to be conscious of. But also as a player, look, RPGs, when it comes down to it, are about having fun together. So if you're having all kinds of fun making all these jokes... That's fine, but if that's making it less fun for everyone else, then maybe rein that back a bit. You know, it's not a bad thing to make a joke every now and then. But if that's all you're ever doing, it can get old and tired. You know, it's a role-playing game, not the comedy hour. Unless you're playing a game that, you know, some games do tend to go that way, and that's fine if that's what you're playing. But I think you need to session zero set that up and not just default go that direction no and blindsiding your players with a tone that's a good way to ruin a game it it really is if you're gonna have a happy-go-lucky adventure and then just up and chop somebody's head off that's a little bit much Uh, that's just a little bit sometimes it works sometimes you can get away with that sometimes you set up that tone and then you go up well this you know this happens that happens the other thing happens but you can't set one tone and then immediately switch to a different tone. That, like you said, that is the number one complaint. I hear a lot of people, oh, this game was ruined for me because the tone was wrong. And that's where communicating with your players comes in. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, a lot of those games, the DM is closed-minded and doesn't want to hear what the players have to say. I've heard that a lot of times, is where we want to play this style game, but he wants to run this style game... So we end up in this situation where he's running this style game and we're playing in this style game and we don't like that. So we're trying to do things to derail it. And to have a DM versus player mentality or a situation where it is DM versus player, that can really, really destroy a party. And not only destroys a party, it destroys that relationship between you and those players. Maybe you don't get to DM at that table again. Like we have a rotating DM schedule where I'll run a campaign for a while, then you'll run a campaign for a while, then somebody else will run a campaign for a while. Well, maybe because they didn't like my campaign, I don't get to run another one until some people leave that party. So, yeah, it it gets to be this really touchy situation, and the best bet is to just talk to those players and talk it out, figure out what, what tone are they expecting from this. And that's again, goes all the way back to episode one with the session zero. Tell your players up front, I'm doing a grimdark story. This is going to be a grimdark tone. I'm doing a comedy story. This is going to be a silly tone. I'm doing a semi-serious tone. That's a little mix of everything. Yeah, but no, that's exactly it is is when you're setting down and you're having your session zero, or even if it's just a one-shot, communicate both as a player and as a GM. Communicate about the tone. You know, if if the DM doesn't say anything, don't be afraid to ask. You know, bring it up. Say, hey, look, what kind of tone are you going for? Because I'm willing to bet that I'm not the only person who does this and that when I'm figuring out an adventure or a campaign overview, I've got a a tone in my head, but I don't always remember that I need to let everyone else know what that is in addition to it just being in my head, because it being in my head doesn't help anybody around the table get into that mindset. And that's what's going to really, you know, if if everyone's on the same wavelength, it's going to create a much richer story because 
they're going to be thinking along those lines and thus their actions are going to fall in line with it much more. Oh, absolutely. Communicating as a player to the other players what you feel the tone of this situation is and to the DM is a super useful thing to do. It's a super, like, as a DM, if my players look at me and go, I think this situation's a little bit more serious than we're playing it, I'm going to be like, okay, well, then I'm going to play it a little bit more seriously because that means to me that you particularly want to take this moment seriously. And mm -hmm. sometimes you get into role-playing and you don't get that little break. Sometimes people don't want to interrupt and be like, well, I think this moment needs this, but it's fine. And anytime you do that, as long as you're being constructive and adding on to the situation, it is very welcomed, at least at any of my tables. And if that's something that's not welcomed at your table, if you're a DM that doesn't like that, communicate that to your players. Be like, hey, this is the tone I want, and I don't really want to talk about it. This is sort of what I want to keep to. But at the same time, be open-minded. Be a little bit more open to saying yes. I think that's something that some new DMs really need to learn, is the ability and watching what happens and letting yourself have the fun of saying yes to the shenanigans. And that can be anything from serious to just a joke, you know. Uh, there's a joke that's been running around of the peasant canon in D&D. &D. Basically, it's, I think it's... This is the, the effect of railgun by yes. peasants handing each things to each other. Yes. Yeah, I've heard it explained, and, and strangely enough, in game mechanics, it does work. It does. But that is a thing that came out of somebody reading the book and then going to their dungeon master and going, Hey, um... I do this. And the DM going, yeah, let's do it. Does it work? It works. But again, just sometimes you just got to say yes, and sometimes you can say no. But we'll get to saying no. I think that's going to be a whole episode, because how you say no to your players is quite a discussion. Yeah. Yeah, it can be. And as much as I want to say you never want to say no, there are times when you need to. Usually you do want to have some sort of out so it's instead of just being no it's no but but every now and then uh, you'll get hit with a situation where it's just no or have an explanation no no because well yes that that's that's true if you're gonna say no to something don't just no and then that's the end of that it's no because this doesn't work this way or i don't want this to work this way or but again, that's I think that's almost a whole episode of saying no to your players because we both played in campaigns where saying no to the players was a problem, where the DM just wanted to just say no and not explain, and then everybody gets frustrated because the thing I wanted to do is now a no. Yeah, that actually brings me to thinking of something that, that ties into this, is that as a GM, even if you're running a pre-written module or adventure path or adventure, whatever it is, you want to, as much as sometimes you don't have time to prep, you want to at least have written, written, not written, read, there we go, the other word, you want to at least have read through this so you have an idea of what the tone is in your mind so you can convey that through your manner of speaking, how you're describing things, and just if your players ask you a question if you have kind of a high-level grasp of what this feels like, if the book says that there's a platform that rotates and it has crossbows on it, well, that can be anything from a merry-go-round to some sort of weird turret, okay? Book doesn't define any of it, but if you have a grasp in your head of what you want it to be, you can describe it as such to your players, and when they ask you a question your mental image or your concept of it is going to define how you're going to answer them. Yeah, because what you just described turned into the best merry-go-round ever in my head. This is a platform <laughs> with a bunch of empty turrets or empty crossbows that you can go walk up to and like shoot them in rapid succession as you spin in circles. <laughs> yeah, but at the same point, it's a platform with crossbows mounted on it. Well, that can mean... We'll say it, it rotates. That's all that the, the, the text of the book or the adventure says. Well, that could be anything from literally like a merry-go-round to some sort of kind of semi-elaborate elevated 
basically like a, a bunker turret, and none of them are wrong, but if you're just looking down at the page and you reading it to your players, it doesn't give them an image, and it's hard for them to to buy into the story if you're not giving them something to buy into, so to speak. No, and it's it's a lot of using verbiage to describe your tone and using verbiage to describe the world through your tone. You can get away with not having to describe things if you've done a good enough job describing the tone of your world. Letting the players assume and see things in their mind versus you having to describe it, you can cheat that a little bit by using tone to set the tone of the world. If they know this is a very grim, dark world, and you describe things where it's a rotating platform with six turrets on it, or with six crossbows on it, they're going to think based on what what led up to that. And the tone that you've set, they're going to assume one thing, and then that lets you not have to really do the legwork and let that you just go, yes, that's what it looks like. Yes, don't be afraid by any stretch to let your players have some license in describing things. I mean, it can actually save you a lot of work, both in the fact that you don't have to then describe the thing, but also it can clue you in as to what your players find interesting. And so you can use that to then give them information that's going to hook them more. Watch what they focus on, what they describe. That's going to be the things that are important to them. That's going to be what they're going to notice when you communicate to them. So lean into those things because it's going to pull them in tighter. Oh, absolutely. Leaning into what the players are describing, like you said, pulls them in tighter and keeps them invested because it means that what they're thinking in their head is what's happening in the world. Keep in mind, we are playing games where it is 99.9% make-believe. The other 0.1% is, you know, sometimes miniatures, but it is mostly make-believe. It is mostly what you see in your head is what's happening in front of you. And what I see in my head and I'm narrating to you is what's happening right now. And so keeping your players invested by letting them have the little things is a big bonus. It's a big thing to keep players invested that way. Right, yeah. It makes them feel more involved. Oh, yeah. I know as a player that I feel more involved when that happens. Mm -hmm. I've noticed, like, listening to uh, James D'Amato sometimes, he's constantly asking his players, what does it look like when? What does it look like when? And he comes from a very strong improvisation acting background, but that's still something you can take and use in your games because... Again, RPGs are collaborative storytelling things. So the more back and forth you can get in terms of everyone building it, the more involved everyone feels, the more buy-in you get. You know, it's like we were talking about last episode with Eric. When it's done for broadcast and people are aware of that, sometimes they're, they're more tightly involved. Well, if you get them involved because they feel like they're helping create, that also draws them in. Where if they're just listening to you go, the walls are 10 feet high, made of a gray stone. The floor is smoothed paved stone. They don't, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, it's rocks. Whereas, you know, you say, yeah, the walls are stone. And someone goes, are they like moss covered? Yes. That's a, a very small thing. But that also gives the player the confidence to know that they can do something like that. and, and well, but moss being there may not mean anything. Maybe the next time they go, well, you know, to go back to the, the turret up example, they ask, well, are there steps to get up into this? Well, you don't say there are now, but yeah, there are, because how else would you get into it? Or if you me, sometimes you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, yeah, it's not wrong to say there are now, but all you have to do sometimes to seem like a brilliant GM is just agree with your players. A lot of times, all you have to do to seem like a brilliant GM is just agree with your players. And you can think whatever you want to think, but just play it off. Or if that's something you don't agree with, play it off a different way. 
go no but are there stairs no but and describe what the situation with that is you can see maybe in the back there's a platform that you could climb up uh maybe you have to cross a chamber before you can get whatever play with it yeah yeah, I mean it's it's a back and forth thing. That's that's what RPGs are. Back in the olden days, yeah, sometimes it was the DM is God and we are just playing in his toy box. Well, you can still run that way, but I have found it to be a much more fulfilling experience both as a player and a GM if it's much more collaborative. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I've had the most fun by again just saying yes to my players. In the current campaign we're running, I have a player who is playing a Warforged, and I know I'll, I might get an email about this, but he's playing a Warforged made out of a Dryad. I'm going to let him do that because I mm-hmm. want to see where that goes. That seems really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's a neat idea. And he didn't ask, I'm guessing anyway, I don't know the details of it, because I'm a player, not the DM. I'm guessing he really didn't ask for any stat bumps out of it or anything, so that he's not getting a mechanical advantage. It's just a cool flavor thing, and it's a tool for you as the DM to use to build some little weird story hook out of. And that's one of the things, you just touched on it, and it just occurred to me, we use the term flavor a lot, and when we're using the term flavor, we're talking about tone. It's an interchangeable thing, and it just occurred to me that we've used the term flavor quite a bit, but flavor is really tone. Flavor is the spice yeah. or the dullness of a situation. It's the it's the burn of something that was too hot. It's really is it really is the tone of a situation. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. And I mean, then there are other things you can do too. You, know, you can't always do it depending on how or where you're playing. Another thing though that can help you set the tone is that things like music. Oh, I I love music. I love music when playing games. I know it can get distracting. But when you ran Cyberpunk, me and you had two very different soundtracks. (laughs) Well, but see, I guess to a certain point, you, you know, we did talk about it a little bit. Initially, I was leaning much more into the punk side of it. And so I was a lot of social distortion, sex pistols, dead Kennedys, bad religion, along with some more electronic stuff where your brain went more immediately to fluke, perturbator, stuff like that. And it's not that either of us are wrong. And I think I I gradually moved a little more in that direction. But again, that's what my, my thought was, was emphasizing more the punk in cyberpunk. And that was kind of my vision of the tone where yours was more the cyber. Right. And the music can reinforce either one. Another thing sort of to go hand in hand with music is not necessarily music, but atmospheric sounds. I've played in campaigns where I had a little tablet that controlled the, that that had a bunch of sounds on it. And one of the sounds that I loved was if they were ever in a tavern, I just had dull ambience of taverns. So it was like glasses clanking and like people talking just sort of in a dull murmur. And it sets this just perfect tone for you know you're somewhere that is warm and there's people there and there's people talking. And I think one of the big things that one of the big things that tends to get lost in tone is verbiage. Your verbiage can really make or break the tone. So like there, I just used the term warm. Everybody knows when I say a room is warm, you know what that means. It means that it's inviting and it's and it's welcoming. It's this like yellow glow of candles and lanterns. Like it's it's just using your verbiage. Whereas if you say something's cold, you walk into a cold, dark room my brain automatically goes to stone walls and condensation on the walls. Everything's sort of just like cold and wet and dark and rough. You know, you can really set a tone with one or two words. You can really do that. It's not, what was that? No, I was just agreeing with you. Stark is another, another good one. Right. Using contrast. If you want to change tone quickly, use some contrast. Go from a warm room to maybe, maybe it's a first level adventure where they're in, they're in a tavern and the barkeep's like, hey, 
you can't pay for your drinks, but I got some rats in the basement that I need you to take care of. So he opens the door, and you go from the warm glow of the tavern to the cold, dark, wet, damp basement. In, like, four words, I described that room without using any descriptors of what the actual room looks like. Right, well, you're, you're setting the tone for the room. Yeah, and with that, you let your players decide what that room actually looks like. Maybe you draw a rough outline of it, but unless it's absolutely necessary, or if they start asking questions, hey, what are the walls made out of? What's the roof made out of? You don't need to get into that excruciating detail, and I know that can get a lot of new DMs hung up, is that detail. Yeah. Well, I, I remember, you know, when I started to run games, and it, it's a weird line to walk, because your initial thought is, well, I have to be prepared for whatever they throw at me. Well, I got a newsflash for you. Isn't no DM ever that's been prepared for everything his players, their players, threw at them. Because if you've thought of 19 ways to do something, yeah, they'll come up with three more that you never thought of. You know, case in point, the um, cyberpunk one-shot I ran before we started the cyberpunk campaign. You guys are staking out this, this thing, and I expect, okay, they're going to follow the bad guy, and no, bad guy shows up, oh, I throw a pound of C4 off the building and shoot it. <laughs> uh, okay? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you have a board fixer. And sometimes you have a bored solo who's making C4 ponies. <laughs> hey, it was fun. What are you going to do? You got you roll with it. But, you know, like, I had, had, had thought of even a confrontation. But the idea is that, oh, yeah, I chucked this one-pound brick of plastique off. And then I open up with my heavy machine gun was not in the list of <laughs> things that I'd gone through that might happen. <laughs> <laughs> I completely forgot about that. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was it was a fun fun night. I remember that, especially because, well, I had been real busy at work, and I think I came into that with about two sentences of prep. Pretty much because you asked where we wanted to play at. <laughs> you said, what city do you want to play in? And I, we were all like, Pittsburgh. Well, that, yeah, hey, why not? But I would say if you're a brand new GM, you don't want to go into a session, even if it's just a a goofy one shot with two sentences of prep. But at the same point, don't stress yourself out because if you put in, if you've got a scenario and you're ex plan out 10 different paths out from that, even if your players do end up taking one of the paths that you planned out, that still means you spent the time prepping the other nine that they didn't take. And so where I kind of tend to go is I have kind of key tone setting scenes in my head that I, I want to have happen and we'll go from scene to scene, but how we get there is very, very fluid and much more up to how the players take it. And if the players seem like they're gravitating towards this one thing, then the scenes in my head shift to something more along the lines of what they're gravitating towards. My big thing is roll along with the punches. If you have specific scenes that you want them to see, and they go in opposite direction, they're still going to see those scenes. You change what you had planned and when it happens. I am a big proponent of you got to roll with the punches. You can't get You can't get hung up in this... I'm I'm doing the same thing. I just want to do this one thing. No, you got to let them do what they want to do. And you got to just roll with, hey, this happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens. Roll with those punches. I was going to say, there's, there's a fine line between a railroad and just putting the goal in front of where they're going. Sometimes, if you do too much of either one... It's going to feel awkward, but if you just put the thing you need them to find where they went, and it, it makes some sort of logical sense for it to be there, it works, and no one's the wiser, and they have the information they need to go on to whatever the next step is supposed to be. 
I always described it as laying the track as they went. You're not trying to railroad them, but they've gotten off track, and you need to just lay the track in the direction that you need them to go. And you're not doing a strict, hey, you got to go this way. Nope, there is no left. You can only go right here. Let them go right. Mm -hmm. Let them go left. Maybe it's a big circle. Maybe it loops back around. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it bypasses an entire thing that you had. But let them go in the complete opposite direction and let them figure it out. And if you're playing D&D, one of the best roles that I think I've ever... One of the best things I think I ever realized, make them roll survival. If they go in the wrong direction, go, hey, give me a survival (laughs) roll. Okay, you're lost now. Now you're free to stick your thing wherever they end up lost. Yeah, use what they give you. Don't be hung up on how exactly you planned it. That's where you get a lot more of your your very experienced DMs really just run off basic outlines and bullet points because that's much easier to modify. It's quicker for you to do. And if you don't use it, then you don't feel like you've invested as much time that you didn't get to use. Oh, absolutely. You don't walk away. If you just do bullet points... You don't walk away from the session going, oh man, I had this big long speech written out and I I had this whole thing. I had like four pages of dialogue. No, you just walk away going, oh, they missed like four bullet points. Yeah. And it also lets you, again, move the goalposts. That's one of my big things is if the players aren't going in the direction you want them to, then you need to move your goalposts. As long as you're not doing it, there's a thin line. Because if you do it too aggressively, it can really derail a campaign. If you take a bad guy and teleport him from halfway across the map, well, now everybody's going, how did he get here before us? I don't know. Yeah, no, like you said, it, it's a fine line between, you know, and, and there's also games that are, are, are what are referred to as sandboxes, where it really is. You have, as a GM, and they can be amazing to experience, because... As the GM, you have 16 different things going on, and whichever one the players get involved with is the one you focus on, but you have to remember that all these other things are still happening, so that just because no one is paying attention to the gang of thieves that are robbing the caravans on this road, they're still robbing those caravans to whatever their end is. It doesn't not happen just because the players aren't there. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm starting to rabbit all off into some weird direction. No, it's okay. So I think we got off tone a little bit back to to wrangling <laughs> cats, but that's okay. And the reason we term reason I use the term wrangling cats is if you've never had to try and catch more than one cat, you've never DM'd a campaign. <laughs> Have you ever seen the episode of MythBusters where they tried to wrangle cats, herd cats? <laughs> no. I'll have to look it up. They after did this. one. Oh, jeez. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those. It was impressive. Is it impressive? It, well, impressively futile, I guess, is a good way to put it, because yeah, they kinda. went full MythBusters on it. But yeah, players, and and I'll say this: I know I'm like trying to hurt a cat when I'm a player. I will fixate on weird things. I will do things that make no sense to anyone but me. But I'm convinced they make sense. No, you never. <laughs> I cast calm emotions on the barbarian. <laughs> that left everybody except the barbarian confused. The barbarian was like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> well, it I mean, the, the idea the was that I just wanted to get out of there without a fight. I understand. It's just, it was one of those, when it happened, everybody went, what? Huh? <laughs> made sense to me. Yeah, it made sense to you. Made sense to somebody. But that's that's how, you know, sometimes those can lead into amazing episodes because someone picks up the ball and now everyone's chasing them. Yeah. You know, <laughs> to, to put a, a rugby or a football analogy to it that, you know, it, it and that sometimes I think that is you have to get to a comfort level with your table, either as as a player or as players and GM where you trust each other enough to just follow. And that's something, you know, we didn't touch on it last week when we were talking about Critical Role, but if you listen to them, they have played together enough and know each other enough and are comfortable enough to someone 
start something and one or two of them will just follow and go and it can create some really memorable interactions and moments because there's that trust and they just go, okay, we're doing this with this tone, so I'm going to do what I think and it, it gets there. They just didn't know where it was in the first place. Yeah, I just think about a couple things that happened in Campaign 2, like not super recently, but some things that have happened in Campaign 2 that just, where somebody took the ball and ran with it, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that off-air because I don't want to spoil anything for anyone. I'm behind myself. But no, like, getting back to tone, and using tone to wrangle the cats is, you can, if your players are derailing your campaign, you can do a harsh change of tone to bring that right back in line, and you can do it the right way. Say your players are laughing and dancing around the king. Well, what happens? Well, they get arrested. Well, what happens when they're arrested? Well, maybe the one that was laughing at the king is... Now you have this whole situation where the one that was laughing at the king is now in jail and talking about meeting his day with the executioner. Well, now your players are like, whoa, 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 we don't want our buddy to die. Right. I say another thing is don't be afraid to stop be at the beginning of a session or end of a session, maybe even the middle of a session, and just say, hey, look, you know, I appreciate that you guys are having fun, but I would really like to have more of this kind of tone in this situation. You know, don't oh, say yes. you're doing it wrong, but communicate, communicate, communicate. Well, yes, I, I agree with that. I understand that completely. Yeah, goes back to communication. Talk to your players. That is one of the biggest things that we will tell you to become a better DM. You have to talk to your players because it's not just about you. I've heard too many bad DM stories where it's just all about me. And that's a problem. It, it really, really is. It's And as a player, don't be afraid to have a conversation with a DM in private either. You know, even if it's just a text conversation or Facebook Messenger or whatever yeah. sort of electronic. Yeah, ask them. Why? What's your what's your tone? What tone are you going for here? Or, in my opinion, this. Or Ask the questions. Talk to your DM. If you're reasonable in listening to this podcast, you should be reasonable enough to have that conversation. It goes back to that. Our number one rule is everybody have fun and don't be a dick. Yeah. It's the rule of life. Yeah, I, I really feel that going back to where we started, one of the biggest things that makes a campaign bad is the tone. And getting your tone set right can really change or make a campaign. And it's never too late to correct your tone. It's never too late. No, it's not. Be open to correction from both sides. If you're a player, if you're the GM, if you realize that despite you having said that you want a very, very somber, serious tone for this campaign and the players are joking around a lot, well, maybe maybe you can meet somewhere a little more in the middle. Or the other thing that may help is take a session or two break from your somber, serious thing and do a one-shot of paranoia or something kind of silly over the top and lots of jokes and let them work a little bit of that out of their system. Not so much work it out, but let them unload some of that so that, okay, hey, this is what you're supposed to do in this, so when we come back to this other thing, let's do it a little bit a different way. Right. And I think we could go a lot longer on tone. I, well, I don't know. We're sort of getting cyclical. I think we've kind of said yeah, what I think we need we to are. say about tone. I would say we did not address the one thing that, that you mentioned, you put in, in the notes about, we haven't mentioned horror gaming at all. Oh, we have not. Tone and buy-in are huge in that genre. I'm going to put a pin in that. And the only reason I say I'm going to put a pin in that is because it's October. So when we get closer to Halloween, let's talk about horror gaming. Let's just have a whole night about horror games. That sounds fair. We can plan it out to where that gets released. For those of you, I'll just let you in behind the curtain for a half second. We record these about two episodes out from what gets released. So we're working on episode six mm -hmm. and episode three just dropped. Or episode four technically just dropped. So two out from what we actually release. Yeah, we're actually behind like a week. Yeah, but anyway, so we record basically ahead of ourselves. And so I think 
what we'll do is we'll plan it out so that later this month in October, closer to Halloween, we drop a horror horror episode. But, sounds reasonable. So it sounds like we've pretty much hit all of the points we want to hit on tone. So let's go ahead and go into our next segment, which is my favorite segment of the episode, which is talking about our games of the week. Game of the week. Game of the week. So do you want to start off with this one? Sure. I think you went first last week, so uh, I'll go first this week. The game I've kind of picked out this week is one that I've, I've heard a lot of good things about, and I keep going, I'm going to order it, I'm going to order it, and I haven't yet. But there's a lot of really good things in this game. And the other thing that I've heard a lot of people say is there are some mechanics in this game that a lot of people love to borrow and use in other games. So the game that I've picked for this week is a game called Blades in the Dark. It came out, it looks like 2015-ish. It is a fantasy game. The default setting is a kind of fantasy industrial setting called Duskval. And it's really... The, the core concept of the game is that this is a city rife with criminal activity. There are criminal syndicates, gangs, etc. all over this city, and your party of players is a new upstart gang. And so you actually, in creation, you build not only your characters, but you build their gang. And they may have a hideout, and they may have some henchmen, and so on and so forth. And so you do all this, and it's it's really a game built around heists. But they have a few very unique mechanics for this, and the, one of the big ones being, if you've ever played a heist-based game, or even anything involving a heist, there's usually at least half a session spent planning. And then invariably, about three things in, the plan goes all kaflooey, and now we're just flying from the seat of our pants anyway. Well, what Blades in the Dark did to cut down on the amount of time spent planning things that don't happen is they have expressly stated you are not allowed to plan. But what you are allowed to do is, in a circumstance, uh, players are allowed to call for what they call a flashback, in which, well, let's say your group is trying to sneak into some society ball or dinner party because they need to assassinate someone or you know steal some particular item from the home and so you're coming up you know your your group is coming up to the gates and up to the guard and you say oh I want to have a flashback and last night I met up with the guy that's that's running the gate cuz I found out he was going to be running the gate and I slipped him money to let me through and and not pat me down very well so I can have this dagger tucked up under my arm or whatever and it does cost you some sort of resource. I don't I don't know exactly what it is to be able to do that, but it's a it's a unique way to allow the planning to happen but eliminate useless planning. And another mechanic I know that they use that I've heard a lot of people talk about borrowing is they have a system that I believe they call clocks, which are really pie charts. What you'll have is you'll have a a clock for, say, your heat with the law enforcement. And different activities will make you fill in another segment on that clock or that pie chart. And as it gets full, then it triggers events. So that's a, a mechanic that you can pretty much just borrow straight from that and, and put into any game that you're doing. But to get back to, to Blades, you know, it's available, as is most anything, on drive through RPG. It's also on, I believe it's the Evil Hat Productions website. It's about 20 bucks for the PDF, $30 for a soft cover from drive-thru. I think the hardcover you can get through Evil Hat, and I want to say it's 40 or 45 maybe. But like I said, I've, I've heard a lot of people speak very highly of this game, and it's something I would really like to try. In addition to that, there are a number of variations on it, if you want to call it that. For different settings, there's Scum and Villainy, which I believe is more of kind of a space opera, kind of, you know, Star Wars-ish type setting. There's one called Band of Blades, which is designed in not so much heists, but as a military unit and the missions they go on, but still running on the same basic engine. So, like I said, it's a game that I would really like to get to play at some point. 
yeah, that's that one's been on my list of getting it on the table and playing with it. Because as a DM, that entire, that book and that entire rule set has always interested me. Because it's such a cool, mm-hmm. like, you can do so many things as a DM with that. Yeah. I think it's it's sort of loosely based and powered by the apocalypse, but not completely. Well, that's good, because mine is powered by the apocalypse. Oh. <laughs> what do you have today, Steve? I have Flying Circus, which is a powered by the apocalypse game about dogfighting and air combat. And the art style is very uh, Studio Ghibli. Hayao Miyazaki, if you don't know that, if you Google Studio Ghibli, you'll understand almost immediately. It's this very iconic anime style, and it's just, it just is a really, you know, after a massive industrial war, everybody's pulling themselves back together, but we have these roving bands of, like, biplanes and triplanes that are duking it out, and it's just a really cool, weird, like, powered by the apocalypse RPG. I and I happened to stumble across it on drive through and I was like, this looks really cool. And I started reading a little bit of it and I'm like, this is really cool. So yeah, I, I think if you're into biplanes, if you like World War One style dogfighting, and if you like Studio Ghibli, you'll really enjoy this one. It really seems like a really well made book. Um, again, 25 bucks for the watermarked PDF on drive through a little bit more expensive, but it seems fairly new. So I'll give them a pass on that one. It looks like a really cool game. It really does. The art is phenomenal. The art is probably top notch. They definitely have a very good artist in there. The game rules seem really well written. They've really covered their bases when it comes to the aerial combat. It's just one that I I stumbled across. The more I look into it, the more I'm like, this is really nice. There was a lot of care put into this particular book. Well, that sounds really cool. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in it. But again, that is Flying Circus. And the whole reason I clicked on it, because I thought it might have been like a Monty Python style book. And then I was like, oh, no, this is much better than that. (laughs) Well, I don't know about much better, but yeah. I like my Monty Python, but I don't know that it fits RPG real well, other than it seems like those get acted out at the table a lot. Yeah, I'm curious to know if you could do a Monty Python RPG. Well, I'm sure it's been tried. I think the thing that, to me, Monty Python was equal parts very intense satire and then just batshit loony. Well, it's very British humor mixed with very intense satire, which, yeah, comes out as, yeah, like you said, loony. You know, like, there there are things that just, okay, I don't know where that, like, the fish slapping dance. <laughs> it's funny as heck, but... No, the, like I said, that was the whole reason I clicked on it, because I was like, oh, this could be neat. And then I clicked on it and was like, oh, this is much neater than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Oh, it does sound like a really cool, really cool thing. Well, I think that is it for our episode. We want to thank you all for listening and be kind to one another and play some RPGs. Yeah, don't be afraid to look us up. We're on Facebook at Me and Steve RPGs. We're now on Twitter at And RPGs. Do we have anything else? Oh, well, the email that's in the the outro. The email. Anything else? Um, we've been alluding to it. You can find us on Discord. At me and Steve RPGs. Yeah, well, I'll throw a link up on maybe on our Twitter. Yeah, we'll throw a link up on Twitter. We'll throw it up on Facebook. But uh, if you look for me and Steve RPGs, you'll find us where we're on all podcast platforms at this point. Well, all of them that I can get us on, there's a couple. Sorry for those of you who want to listen to us on Pandora. I'm working on it. I'm I'm getting there. (laughs) I just got to wait for them to get back to us, but... It is one of those things where it takes time. Yeah, I think Spotify is another one. It takes a little while, but it basically takes, as you were explaining it to me, it takes a certain amount of plays for them to basically go, oh, enough people want this, we'll put it on our servers. Yeah, Spotify is a little weird. So we're not on Pandora, we're not on Spotify as of yet, but we will be. We'll get there. Yeah, something else was rattling around my plate. Oh, yes. And by all accounts, reviews help 
other people find the show greatly. So if you're on a podcast service that, that takes reviews, please leave us a nice one or at least. Yeah. Or if you don't like our podcast, let <laughs> us know. <laughs> yeah. Email us. Tell us, tell us why we're, you know, the worst thing you listen to today. Yeah. Like, you know, as long as you're not rude about it, I want to hear why you don't like our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In all honesty. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if we're doing something wrong, you know, technical, technical issues can be addressed to me. I'm, I'm the, the goofball that twists the buttons and the knobs, but you know, if you don't like the sound of my voice, don't tell me. I know it's annoying. It's fine. I, nothing I can do about it. I was born this way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could play with an EQ or I could speed you up. <laughs> you know, I could pitch shift you up like an octave. Yeah, sometimes I don't... Yeah, you could speed me up a little bit, so maybe I can get through my bits a little bit faster. But seriously, reach out, tell us, you know, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like. If you have suggestions for maybe people we should have on the podcast, reach out. Be like, hey, you should have this person. Mm -hmm. Don't tell us Matt Mercer. We'll work on it. We'll get there eventually, maybe. I hope. <laughs> it would be nice, but um, I, I have a feeling he's a little bit of a tough get, because I think he's kind of a busy guy. Just a hunch. But yeah. Or if there's a topic you'd like to hear us ramble on about for an hour or so, shoot Throw us an email, way. stop into the Discord. Put it on Facebook. Always, I'm always checking our Facebook. We're very fast at responding to messages. Yeah, I actually run the Twitter, but I'll still respond to you. It's just that I work a weird schedule, so I might respond to you in what would be the middle of the night your time because, well, that's when I get up in the morning to go to work. <laughs> But, you know, yeah, we're we're present. We're here. We want to hear from you. We Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, folks. Have a good one. Yes, thank you for listening. Be kind to each other and play some RPGs. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can also find us at facebook.com slash meandsteverpg. Thank you and be kind to each other. Cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. In three, two, one. Welcome to back. That's all, folks. Yeah. There's an outtake for you.